Hey everyone, if you're a fan of the show, please head over to MikeyOp.com and click the subscribe button. It's the best way to support us, and it's free. That's M-I-K-E-Y-O-P-P.com. Thanks. Hi, I'm Mike Oppenheim, and you are listening to Coffin Talk, Interviews with the Living, a weekly podcast that explores how our views on death affect the way we live our life. This week, coming to us from New York, I believe, is Alex Siegel, who was raised in Miami and has always had an exploratory personality, which led him into a life of sales, as well as many other things. And this also includes uh, merging back onto the path of Judaism at an older age. So I'm going to start by asking you our standard questions, Alex, which are, uh, how old are you? Where did you grow up? Which I kind of answered for you. And what generation, if any, do you consider yourself a member of? Whoa. Um, so first of all, thanks for having me on the on the show, Mike. Um, first of all, I was I was born in Miami. I was living in New York, but now I'm back in Miami. Um, so feeling the sun rays. I'm 37 years old, and um, what generation do I feel a part of? What a phenomenal question. Um, I feel really an older soul. So I'm not, you know, I don't relate to the new tech and all that. So I've always felt a little bit back in that time but i think i can't identify a specific generation but i definitely feel two or three generations back awesome that's a great answer i've never heard that one and i've heard like versions that lead to towards there but never finish there so that was cool um i definitely think i understand however to understand that even better i'll just ask you a bunch of questions and i'm sure it'll unfold as it always does so um let's start with just like your childhood um how jewish or not jewish were you when you were about like five six seven years old so I was classically Jewish or traditionally Jewish, meaning we would go to, you know, synagogue two, three times a year. Um, and, you know, that was basically the extent of my relationship with Judaism, but a pride for being Jewish, meaning there wasn't it wasn't something that we hid from or, you know, we were scared to express or anything like that. Growing up in Miami, the area that I grew up in, it's one of the zip codes to this day that there is no church in the zip code. So it's an extremely Jewish area. And so your old, you know, all your neighbors were Jewish. Everybody was Jewish. So you never felt your, your gas attendant was Jewish. So when I moved to college, it was almost like a surprise that there were like other Jews around, even though no one was religious. So my association was a very culturally, you know, there's a lot of cultural Judaism around me. But religiously, it was maybe, a, you know, or two or three uh, a year event, you know. Totally. Yeah, that, that's really interesting. I did not grow up in a similar community. I am Jewish, but uh, I had a similar attitude, which is I didn't like shun it or hide it. But there was certainly not a lot of people around me who were Jewish. So growing up, did you believe in an afterlife scenario? Did you have like thoughts about death at all? Or were you like a normal happy go lucky person? Um, so it's funny, I was always happy go lucky. But I was, you know, I guess when you're younger, um, I think there's a lot of talk about that you see on TV, right? you see a lot of shows and all these things, whether it's ghosts or, you know, more of like those juvenile type of things that you get. I mean, it's not juvenile necessarily, but you know, you get associated with certain after life thoughts. And so when I was a child, I did think about, you know, what happens next and all those different things, but I was, you know, maybe seven, eight, nine years old. It's not that it had any direct impact on my life. As I went older and your brain kind of develops and you become a little bit more intellectual and you start questioning things, so I took a little bit more of a stance. I was like, all of this stuff is all just totally false. And I couldn't even come to believing into any religion. I felt there's a certain hypocrisy in the religion. And I almost felt that because the Judaism that I was visiting, which was like this two or three 
um, a year visit to, to synagogue was very divorced from actually anything truly spiritual. So I almost felt like there was this hypocrisy where it's like you were choosing what you could do and you could do this, but you can't do that. And it's like, who's the one that's kind of calling the shots here? Who's the one that's called, who's, who's the actual God here? You know, and that became something where I initially that caused me to reject everything later on. And I was just like, there's nothing going on. There's like, I just completely shunned away from anything that was like God related more toward college. Wow. That's really fascinating. And uh, a lot of that gels with me, um, especially the part where you talked about the hypocrisy of it all. So um, I'm kind of excited to hear uh, if this was like a book. I feel like I just finished chapter two. And I'm hoping chapter three is uh, six years studying in Israel. So uh, is it appropriate to jump to that now? Or is there anything in between that that you want to share? Yeah, no, I mean, look, that was so there was that time where it's kind of like there was this rejection, right? And it was like, I would see I was in college and Yom Kippur, I would see all the kids, go, you know, like droves going into synagogue, right? And I was just like, I was going to the library. And I was like, even on the holiest day of the year, and it gives me chills as I say it right now, like, I can't believe that that was my stance then. But I was like, I was like, why is everyone going? Do they even know why they're going? And I was like, maybe it was more, maybe it was like a, more of a, you know, a better than now, right? Like, I was like, oh, they don't know what I know type perspective. Um, but I was just like, I'm, I'm not going. Like, if I don't understand what's going on, I'm not going. And that then coincided with me getting uh my, my i happen to have an uncle that's religious that lives in miami beach and he's a rabbi and we started his daughter got married and at the wedding a rabbi came up to me he's like hey i run these cool retreats um would you like to come which of course i rejected that as well it's like i'm not going to retreat with a bunch of jews you know what i'm saying and you know, they kept calling and asking. And then, of course, the clincher was I had nothing to do spring break one summer or one uh, spring break. And they were like, oh, we'll buy you the ticket. You know, it's in San Diego, California, beautiful views, ranch, whatever. And I was like, OK, I'll go. And that was the beginning of just to jump to the point you're highlighting. That was the beginning of what was an unbelievable experience of just learning authentic Judaism from its source with beautiful events shabbat I, I, I was blown away i was like i can't believe that this is judaism and i was hyped up i was like i couldn't believe that this is what it was and obviously there's a lot of learning um and a lot of you know great people that were on that trip but that was the spark that kind of like brought me in on college where i started like thinking more asking more learning more wow that's really interesting and uh I'm getting very close to asking you the central question of this podcast, which is what do you think happens when you die? But before I get to there, you brought something up that's just like too important for me to skip over, which is uh, you're 37, I'm 40. So we're in like the same ballpark part of life where you look back on this past version of yourself and your direct quote is it gives me chills now. Of course, I have many similar memories like, you know, these aren't things you did that were like morally wrong or ethically wrong or like, you know, like we're not criminals like you not being observing Yom Kippur the way but like you still kind of like, as you said, it gives you chills now and you kind of cringe at this former version of yourself. How how much of that is like hard for you to deal with now versus like, is that normal for you? Like, how do you really address that part of yourself that you were that guy? Yeah, it's a great question. So so I cringe zero, meaning, of course, I get chills because, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about it as we're discussing it. I don't think about it consciously, but the beautiful thing about Judaism, and this is an unbelievable concept, is that 
you can build a house of negativity, of past life, things that give you chills as we just described. And there's a concept called tshuva, a concept of repentance, right? Where you like literally, it's not repentant in the classical sense, the way we understand it. If you look up Webster's dictionary de definition of it, tshuva is that you miss the mark, right? There's an understanding of Judaism that people make mistakes. How can I be held accountable for something that I never really knew that was something that I should be doing? And, 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 and the, 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 you know, God, Hashem, the universe, whatever word you want to describe, the spiritual force that drives this entire world is that he leaves a spot open and he allows people to basically come back and he says, I get it. You did a mistake. You didn't know. Why would I hold you accountable for that? And so you can literally do what we call as chuba which we do it you know, every day, you could do it anytime. Most classically, we do it Yom Kippur, as we mentioned, once a year and really do the whole year. But this idea where it's like, you did it, and even in Hashem, God, the universe's mind, it's as if it never happened. Like as if it never happened. And it's an, such a comforting feeling because you make your mistakes, you do your tshuva, you think about it consciously, you make sure that you're never gonna do it again, and that's it. So. In my own mind, I get chills, but that's just me, uh, you know, human being right in this world. God's perspective is that it's gone, you know? Um, so, so it's an amazing concept. So, yeah, like, of course, I feel, I, you know, it's like getting a tattoo. I don't have a tattoo, but I'm just saying when you get a tattoo when you're, thir when you're 18 and then you're 37, you're like, why did I get that? You know, you can look at that. But from God's perspective, it's like your body didn't even have a tattoo in the first place, you know? That's it. Wow. That's a very powerful metaphor because that speaks deeply to like the idea that if a person chooses to see it, they can still choose to see it, but God doesn't see it, and that's what matters. Um, Just a small footnote: that doesn't mean that you, obviously you can chomp on a bunch of you know non-kosher food, let's say for the whole year, and then do chuva, and then you're clear. Obviously, you have to you know live a. It's not that type of thing where you can just like do whatever you want and then you do chuva, and that's it. You got to you know do both. You got to live your life aligned with you know, the principles of, you know, the Torah and everything else. And then, of course, if you make a mistake, you do Juba, you know, just as a small footnote on that. Yeah, and you actually, you did cover uh, that briefly, but you did say it, and I heard it really loud and clear, because what you said was you have to actually believe in the change, and you have to, like, have change. And I like that, because that is the accountability part that I need. Um, and I'm not an atheist, uh, and I am Jewish, but I'm also just hosting this podcast and really open-minded to hearing all these things and kind of seeing if they can all interlink and coexist. And as of so far, the answer is pretty strongly yes. And so uh, I am curious uh, with Judaism in your opinion, and it's just you I'm asking, I don't, I'm, you know, you can quote the Torah or any source you want, but is God a part of you as well as externally outside of you or are you and God one in the same? Like, how would you explain that part of it? So we, we say that um, every, we say that we're a, a uh, a portion of God, like when God created the world, we're and created man. Like there's a there's a chaluk in Hebrew. There's a portion of God within us, but we're not God. Obviously, we're not, but we carry a certain um, energy of God within us. So there is. It's not something that's external, but we're not God. We're human beings. But the, spiritually, there's an essence where there's a there's a um, parallel between who God is and who we are. Right. And there's, that allows us to elevate ourselves and go beyond, you know, our physical limitations in a certain sense. Right. A lot of people talk about this and, you know, you see YouTube videos and even podcasts about this idea of like breaking through limitations. And that idea is a certain is a very godly idea. 
right? This idea that you can like break through limitations, right? And people say, I can't anymore when you're working out and, and you can push yourself five more reps, five more reps. That thing that you're pushing from is that godly spirit within that ability to go beyond the physical nature and go to that next level. That's a godly spirit within. So, you know, it's not that God, it's not that we are God. Um, and I don't feel like, you know, I hear a lot of other religions talk about God is speaking through me. I don't relate to that. And I don't think this is, that's necessarily the way we understand it from a Jewish perspective, but there is an element that there's a spark of godliness within. Cool. Um, I'm going to table local Judaism questions, as I would call them, for a little bit because I do want to get to the meat and potatoes. But I do have a couple like tangential questions if we have time at the end that I'd love to ask about this. Um, so the main question I ask everyone, and I'm just going to bluntly ask it, is what do you right now, currently age 37, living in Miami, what do you think happens when you die? You, Alex. So um, I know – I mean I – you know, I, I can't really go with my own personal belief because I just what I know is that there's a moment in time where you leave this world. You every single person we say in the in the in the Jewish perspective is that every person has the merit of entering into the next world. So what happens, in my opinion, based on what I've read, is that you go through a moment of cleansing. Right. Some people call that um, hell. Uh, we use a language called the Gehenom, but the idea is that you you go through a process of purging and cleansing for everything that may have happened in this world, and then you have the opportunity to walk into, you know, whatever the next world is. I mean, I really don't understand it because it's a spiritual concept, but from the little that I do understand about it, um, it's this moment in time where you go into this, you know, world of bliss of where you're completely connected to complete spiritual concepts and God and heavenliness and whatever that means. I mean, it's hard to put into words because honestly, I don't think about death a lot. I know this is going to be, this may be anticlimactic for you, but I don't really, you know, I, I don't think about death a lot. Like this is what I understand, but I don't, I don't live my life. And I don't think anybody should where like, I'm scared of death or, you know, I don't know when my time is up. I could walk out, God forbid, I could walk out of my house right now after we do this class and this uh, podcast and a, uh, a a car hits me. I don't know when the buzzer is ending, but I, I, you can't live your life healthily in a way where you're scared of death. I live the life that I best possibly can, knowing that I'm doing the best that I can. And if I'm not, I have the opportunity to improve on it. And then that's it. What happens next is... You know, I, I hope I'm doing the right thing, but it's hard to really conceptualize what it is because it's a completely spiritual concept. And I think anybody who tries to tell you that there's a true understanding without actually entering into that world is just speculating. No one really knows. Even even the commentators in the Torah are at odds of exactly what happens when we talk about the next world, messianic age, all these things. It's not completely agreed upon because no one really experienced it. You know, so we have things that we can learn out from. But even the Torah, by the way, no one's. I don't know if anybody has told you this. The Torah itself does not mention the next world once in the actual five books. Read the whole thing cover to cover. There is not one mention. People will say that there's um, suggestions or whatever, but explicit like like do this, do that. There's nothing like that about the next world at all, which is fascinating. You know. That really is interesting, and especially because uh, even if you grew up in an all-Jewish community in Florida, you still grew up in the United States where we're a predominantly what they call Judeo-Christian culture, but I would put the emphasis on the Christian part. Uh, we tend to think there are really strict 
decision-making opportunities that will lead you to this place called hell or this place called heaven. Um, and actually, more to that point, since you are Jewish and, and there is, at the very least, the Ten Commandments, uh, a codification of ethics, do you believe that morality is like somewhat flexible? So I was, I was talking about the Christian scenario, the way I was taught it as a child growing up in this culture, not so like not in a church, but you know that like if you murder someone, that's it. Like you're going to hell. There's not like you can murder someone and then say, I'm so sorry, God, and then you don't go to hell. Um, in Judaism, they don't even tell you that there's a hell according to you, and, and I'm familiar with this, you know, but there is this reckoning, this like cleansing, as you put it, which is a great term for it. So I'm curious how you approach now at your current age and current philosophy tie with, with Judaism, how do you approach like morality? Like when you hear that someone embezzled thousands of dollars and ripped people off, if they're crying and they say they're really sorry, are you like, oh, good for them. They're going to be fine. Yeah. So look, there is an objective morality, but that doesn't preclude the opportunity to do chuva on it. Meaning, let's hope that some of the people that maybe you're even thinking about that are criminals of any any religion, right? So what are they, you know, is there chuva for them? I would hope because for myself and for you and for all of us, if there isn't, so then, you know, we always want to point the finger at people like, you know, these criminals and say, ah, oh, they should burn and all that. But if you're in that position, you may actually feel a sense of remorse for what you're doing. I mean, people, they have life experiences that cause them to do what they did. You don't know the way people were grown up. You don't know what their level of free will is. So how do you know that the guy that shoplifted, you'd say, oh, my gosh, how could that guy do that? What a disgusting act. And for you, you know, for him, it's almost like he didn't have control over that ability, just like you may not have control when you see a piece of steak, right, if you're hungry. So but there is an objective morality. But let's hope that there is an opportunity for those people to do chuba. But to your point, there are certain things that we say that it's gone too far and there's certain like, you know, cardinal sins, right? Where it's like, it's really like, there's a certain point where there's not two before that. So does this ever, um, Judaism is, uh, how do I put this? In my opinion, it's not old fashioned in a negative way, but if you compare it to contemporary morals and, and shifts in ethics in our culture, specifically the United States, I would say it's somewhat old fashioned. And what I mean by this is like, uh, there are songs where the name actually now refers to like vulgar parts of women and they're like said out loud, they're on the radio, it's all over the place. And that's not really like becoming of like the higher lessons of Judaism and most religions and stuff. So I'm just curious because you live in Miami of all places where that's actually like, in my opinion, the epicenter of like fun, hip American culture, like take it easy, put on your bikini or your like small swimsuit and go down to South Beach. Like, so does it conflict? Like, does that culture conflict with your Jewish uh, morality or is it all jello and cool? Look, of course, you know, a person has to be careful with what they're, what we're, you know, we have to live in the world, right? We, we don't, Judaism does not be, believe in an, in an aesthetic life where you, uh, you know, you reject the physical and live on a mountain and, and you know, some country, right? We realize that the world is there for us to interact with and to elevate it. So, you know, I can take a piece of steak, which is a very, you know, someone may think that, you know, does not eat anything but a small portion of food every day to stay alive, may think that that's a really coarse act. But for us, it's a moment of elevation, right? We see a blessing and we can elevate the moment into a godly experience where I use that food to generate energy for me to serve God even better. But at, so, you know, those things of like the ocean, if I go swimming, 
maybe I need that to re-energize myself and go to the beach and get some vitamin D in my skin to be able to energize myself to feel even better about life and um, serve God even better if I'm feeling down, if I'm feeling low energy, if I'm feeling sick. Like everything in this world is to be used for the positive or the negative. Should I be going to South Beach and partying in a club? Obviously not, right? So there's certain limitations where it's like, you know, I can think that I can walk into a club and elevate it spiritually, but I have to know my limitations as well. Parenthetically, there is this famous rabbi in Israel called the Disco Rebbe. And he, this was back in the 70s where Israel was, you know, basically, you know, young as a country. And all these young secular Israelis would go to these clubs and he would go in there and take them into a room. So not in the main club area. And it would teach them Torah. And a lot of big people became religious from that experience. And he's a very religious guy, a long white beard, long black coat, the whole thing. So, you know, there's there's levels, but, you know, a person has to be careful and know what where they can jive and where they can't jive. That's very cool. And uh, actually, I would like to ask you, I did not think this was going to come up, but so my mother converted to Judaism and my father was born Jewish. So I'm by all accounts like full Jew because you know how the <laughs> the rules work. Um, it matters what your mother is. So I'm curious, Judaism is also, though, not like a famous conversion religion, meaning like my mom had to apply, take lessons and pass a test and like work with a rabbi. It was like a long, not easy process. She has explained it to me before and she's very Jewish because she went through all that. So I'm curious, like, do you think it's net positive that Judaism is not like a secret club you can't get into, but that it's kind of like not a process, I can't say that word, proselytizing religion? We're not. No, it's a, it's a fact that we're not. We are not. If someone comes and asks to convert, we readily reject them. We just say, like, you cannot. We, we say, no, it's not a good idea, really, you know, and we, we reject it. Like, we, we just say it's better, you know, just do this. We even have for, for non-Jews, we have there's something called the seven Noahide laws, which are things that you can absolutely do. Those you don't have to convert to Judaism. Do those seven and you are gravy. You do not have to do anything. Literally, do those seven. Those are the things that are that you can do as that one person a person can do as an Jew, and they're getting the same level. God loves them. It's all good. There's no need to convert, and we encourage people to do that. We don't encourage proselytizing. We don't encourage any of that stuff. Um, and the reason is because we've just had a very tumultuous, difficult, you know, past. Right? We have been. I mean, the things that other nations have done to Jews historically is is I mean, it's terrible, right? If, if you look, if you read any history on it, so you know we don't want to poke the sleeping bear, right? It's just you know we're on our own, we're in our corner, we do our little thing. You can love us, you can hate us, you can write your media articles about us, whatever you want, but we're just gonna sit in our corner, and we're not gonna poke the sleeping bear. Alex, you're. <laughs> You're awesome. You're you're very fun to talk to. You have a great attitude. Um, but it's the truth. That that's the truth. I'm I'm just coming. When you talk about what do I believe, I really I'm just coming from from the from the tradition. That's our tradition. That's our source. That's what I've received from my rabbis, and they've received from their rabbis. I'm just giving over what what I'm coming from. But uh, we don't proselytize. And and just as a final point on, on that on that question you had asked, is um, one key question that they will ask to test if someone is truly faithfully wanting to convert and anybody who's listening don't cheat on the test but they will say are you prepared to go on the on the cattle cars and go get you know go with the jews and be burnt in the ovens with the other jews if that were to happen again god forbid 
And I have spoken to converts that say it with a pride in their voice, and they say it would be my honor to be taken in those cattle cars with the other Jews and be taken to the ovens. I mean, that, when someone says that, and which I just got chills just saying it, I mean, how can you not accept that person's genuineness and want to convert? And that's what we want. We want someone who's genuine and not looking to do it for alternative motives, whether it's to get married to somebody or to do it for, you know, whatever other reason someone might want to do it for. Very cool. Very cool. So you talked about how what the godly nature is, is the ability to go beyond. And you gave that great example of like when you're lifting weights and you can do five more reps or you're holding a plank and you're just like, ah, why not? 30 more seconds. So I'm curious in your life, what is a one time you can think of where you used your godly nature and your connection with religion to go beyond? Oh my gosh. I love that question. So I literally use it every day. I'm not like we, in my line of work, I do sales. I sell like digital marketing technology to doctors and like every single day I can quit on the call. If I'm two hours in on the call and I can just quit and I could just say like, okay, that's it. I'm throwing in the towel. Like he wins, the doctor wins. I'm not making the sale. And trust me, they have every objection in the book to, to give you reason not to. And I literally have to, even though I've said the same thing 20,000 times for the last few years, I got to stand up and I got to, in my mind, I'm like, I will win this battle. This is mine. I will win it. And every single moment, I'm overcoming something within that is telling me, just throw in the towel. You're hungry. You're tired. Go eat. Go chill. It's probably not going to sell. And that is my own limiting beliefs. And I got to stand up every single day and just professionally and break through that and say, I will win this. This will happen. And if you've seen some of the way these calls close, you would never believe it of how they close. And it's almost like beyond reason. And I think the reason it's beyond reason is because you tapped into your own beyond nature, right? You tapped into something that was higher beyond you. And so the call closes at these crazy times where they're on the highway, they pull over, they give you the credit card, crazy situations. They hang up on you, call back, they still give you the credit card. It's just, it's insane. So um, I, that's, what, that's, that's the return. That's your ROI for tapping into the godly, right? When you tap into the godly, your ROI is that you get something beyond what you would have expected. Anything, even when you treat, treating your wife, your kids, the whole thing, you come in, you're tired from work the whole day, you walk in you, and you break through and you give a smile to your wife, the ROI on that smile is a whole, is something that's godly because you broke through something that otherwise wasn't your natural state. Your natural state was to walk in like a schlub, hit the TV, relax, open a beer, and just say, I had a bad day. I need to relax. But the smile was the breakthrough. And that smile that you broke through, God gave a kiss on the for on your forehead and allowed for a little bit of a of a, of a more harmonious moment, moment between your the two of you. Wow. That was a great, great answer. It was very motivational. You definitely have a second career in uh, motivational speaking if you're ever <laughs> bored and interested. Um, and I am sure I'm not the first person to tell you that. That was uh, awesome. I'm sold. I'm completely sold. Whatever it is you are selling me, I'm buying it. Here's my credit card. Um, yeah, that's, that's truly great examples and great advice. So uh, I do always leave the show up to my guests to answer their own question as they feel they want to, which is just what do you feel like saying to the internet? You have no idea how many people will listen to this, but surely some people will. Um, I think that the, the one message that I think for everyone that is universal message is that everyone has, and I think this is a little bit of a theme that you tapped into, is that everyone has the ability, whether you believe in religion, non-religion, 
at the end of the day, I think it's hard not to see in today's world our ability to look into a tree and look at the cells and how they work when the rain falls and how evaporation works. I mean, you just look at nature. It's so hard. You have to work consciously to look into the world and say there is no spirituality, whether it's God, Hashem, the universe, whatever you want to call it. It's so hard to see that. And I think once you allow yourself to open your heart to the reality that there is something that is spiritual out there and there is a reality, you can tap into so many things that are there that the spiritual world has has injected into our physical world for us to be better people, right? We all, every single person wants to be a better person. They want to live a better life. They want to live a more harmonious life. They want to be better people. And the tools have already been given. We don't have to reinvent it. It's not that, you know, people 3,000 years ago didn't get it and now we got it better. Probably they knew something more than we knew, to be honest. And if you open your heart and you allow yourself to tap into those things, the world is just open and waiting for us to just tap into so much beauty and so much growth and potential that lay dormant within us. And if we just allow our, our hearts to be open to that, it, we can lead a transformational life. And all you have to do is just open your heart and allow for that. Well, that was incredible. Thank you so much for coming on this podcast. Um, I'm truly inspired and I will be thinking about a lot of things you said and especially about the fact that you really don't have to convert or become Jewish and you don't even have to be a Jew who acts like Jewish. You just have to follow the right ethics uh, that belong to you and to your world and everything's going to work out. Um, So thank you for helping us put another nail in the coffin. And for those of you listening at home, this is another episode of Coffin Talk Interviews with the Living and we will see you soon.